Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Last couple weeks, we've been talking about the garden once again. If you remember, we, this is a subject we talked about several months back, uh, back in early 2020. And um, it's something that maybe has been mentioned here and there every now and then. But uh, the Lord has really been taking me on a journey back to the garden. And uh, that phrase and that, um, that really analogy uh, of the garden of what that is and what it looks like. Uh, back in 2020, for me, the garden really represented that place of prayer. That place of going to God in, in a private, secret place. The Bible calls it the secret place. The place of private devotion and prayer. Uh, but here recently, I feel like the Lord has really progressed that imagery for me and taken it to a, a new place to where now the garden is not necessarily just the place of prayer, but it's that, that uh, internal garden. It's that place of communion or being with God. And through that place of being with God, one, it's cultivated by prayer, but it's also the place where prayer comes from. It's the place that's, it's, it, that, that internal garden, that place of communion is cultivated by worship, but it's also the place that births worship because you've been with him. And so you see this, this garden that I feel like what the Lord has progressed it into is it's not just the place of prayer, but it's the place of walking with God in the cool of the day. It's the imagery of the Old Testament there in Genesis with Adam and Eve, where Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. It was the place, it was the meeting place. It was the place where they lived and dwelt, right? Back in Genesis, uh, Adam and Eve lived in the garden. The whole point of the garden was for them to dwell. It was a dwelling place for them. And it was a place of creativity. It was a place uh, of dominion and authority that God had given them to have over the plants and the animals and all the things on the earth. It was a place not for, for dominion, for creativity, but it was also, more, most importantly, a place of communion with the Father. It's where the Father met them and where they lived together with the Father. But something happened, didn't it? Something happened, and Adam and Eve fell into sin. And we all know the story quite well. They fall into sin. What happens? They are excommunicated from the garden. It says, the Bible says that because they had fallen into sin and because they now had the sinful nature and the sinful lifestyle, they were excommunicated from the garden. They were no longer allowed to enter into the garden. But then we fast forward thousands of years later, to a man named Jesus who comes back on the scene. And because of what Jesus did, we are now able to enter back into the garden. But this time, the garden is not a physical place. The garden is actually in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 says that you are God's cultivated garden, the house he is building. That, that God took the idea of the garden, the place of dwelling, and now he says, not only is there a place of dwelling, but it's not even a physical dwelling, but now the garden is actually inside of you. It's not a place you go to, it's who you are. It's inside of you. You actually live and move and have your being from that place of communion with the Father. That I am in him. He is in me. That mutual indwelling that we've talked about so often. 
that there's this permanent garden that resides on the inside of you when you become a Christian, this place of communion with the Father. And God's intent all along was to restore that place of communion called the garden. Amen? So that's, that's really uh, how this has progressed for me. It's become for just a place of prayer. To not is it just a place of prayer. It's actually a place of constant communion and companionship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? So that's important for us to hear and to realize that the place, the, the garden is an internal dwelling place where we have communion with the Father, Son, and Spirit. This is important. This is where I want to go today. I want us to realize that Jesus operated from that internal garden. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said came from the place of communion. It came from the place of intimacy with the Father. It came from the place of the internal indwelling garden within him. Let me show you what I mean by that. You already have your Bibles open to John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 6. John 14, verse 6. Jesus explained, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me, listen to this, to know me is to know my Father too. And from now on, you will realize that you have seen him and experienced him. Philip spoke up. Philip spoke up and said, Lord, show, the fa- show us the Father, and that will be all we need. And I'm like, Philip, did you not just hear what he said? <laughs> Philip probably wasn't paying quite attention. You all, have you ever done that? Somebody says something to you, and you're like, you're trying to act like you were paying attention, but you really weren't. <laughs> that, that's kind of what's going on here. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be all we need. And Jesus replied, Philip, I've been with you all this time, and you still don't know who I am? How could you ask me to show you the Father? For anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. Don't you believe that the Father is living in me, that I am living in the Father? There it is right there, the garden, the internal dwelling, the place of communion with the Father, that the Father is living in me and I am living in the Father. Even my words are not my own, but come from my Father. For he lives in me and performs his miracles of power through me. Believe that I live as one with my father and that my father lives as one with me. Or at least believe because of the mighty miracles I have done. We have described the internal garden as the place of communion. At its essence, I believe this is the garden. That I am in him and he is in me. Mutual indwelling, perfect communion. And this is the place Jesus lived from. This is where his authority came from. This is why when Jesus prayed for a blind man, the blind man received his sight. This is why when Jesus stood in front of the grave of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. That's why, this is why Lazarus got out of that grave and walked out because Jesus lived from this place of internal fellowship, constant fellowship with the Father. And he says it right there in those verses. He says, he says the miracles, all of the things I perform, 
right here in, in this verse, in verse, uh, whichever verse it is, one of the ones I just read, it says, he lives in me and performs his mighty, his miracles of power through me. Do you see that? That Jesus, guys, this is so important. Jesus did not perform those miracles because Jesus was God. Now, Jesus, everyone in this room hopefully would agree with me, Jesus was fully God. He never laid down his divinity, never. But as he was fully God, he also became fully man. He had this dual identity going on, right? He was fully God, but he was also fully man. Jesus did not operate on this earth as God. He operated on the earth as man, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it tells us that right here, that even the miracles that I did, I didn't do because I have the identity as God, even though he did. He said, the miracles I performed, I performed through union with my Father. It was his power and his authority that I was operating in. It even goes on to say that not only was the miracles that he performed God working through him, but it also says that even the words that he spoke, every parable, every teaching, every rebuke to the religious, everything that he said and everything that he did was birthed through the garden, through the indwelling relationship and communion, the I am in him and he is in me of the Father. Everything he did, from the miracles to what he said, all of it was birthed through this place of intimacy, through this place of I am in him and he is in me, the internal garden. Amen? It's important for us to understand this that Jesus operated from this place of relationship because of what the next few verses say. Let's look at them. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do and even greater miracles than these because I go to be with my father. Did you hear what he just said? <laughs> the miracles that he did, the things he did, in we will do those things and even greater. Why? Because I go to be with my father. Then listen to this. For I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask what? In my name. And that is how the son will show what the father is really like and bring glory to him. Ask me anything in my name and I will do it for you. Why is it important that we have to realize that Jesus operated from this internal garden, from this place of communion? It's important for us to realize that because he is giving us the invitation to operate from the same place that he did. That greater works come Greater works come because we are in him and he is in us. That we actually have the opportunity to operate in his name, amen? Jesus tells us this, his disciples, this is how to operate through the place of communion. I am in him and he is in me, the interior garden. 
If Jesus operated from communion, then if we expect to do what Jesus did and get the results that Jesus did, we have to operate from the same place that he did. That if we want the results that Jesus had, then we have to operate from the same place that he did. Verse 13 says, for I will do whatever you ask me to do in my name. This is funny to me, this, this phrase, in my name. How many of you, when you pray, you end your prayer with, in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you do that? I do that as well. See, here's what, what's happened with this phrase, in Jesus' name. That, that phrase is, comes from this verse right here in John chapter 14. In, in my, if you do things in my name, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it for you, right? And in his name has become this magic prepositional phrase that we've placed at the end of our prayers, it's, because, it's, it's almost like, like you write out your letter, you put it in the envelope, and in Jesus' name is the stamp that you put on the envelope to make sure it gets to God, right? I remember, I remember as a kid, I remember, you know, I grew up in church. I remember as a kid, if somebody would pray, whether they were praying for a meal or praying whatever, and they would just pray like, Jesus, thank you for this food, pray you would bless it, amen. I remember thinking, they didn't say in Jesus' name that prayer did not get to God. Like, <laughs> what were they thinking? Like, if you want your prayers to be answered, you have to say in Jesus' name, right? Here's the problem. We have used the phrase in Jesus' name as a weapon when it was intended to be used as, a, as a, or it was intended to become from a place of intimacy with him. It was supposed to be, we've used it as a weapon, and it was supposed to be used uh, as a place of intimacy that we live in. Does that make sense? Let me say how I wrote it, because it was much better. In Jesus' name has become a weapon we use and not an intimacy that we live in. We've used it as a weapon that if we say in Jesus' name that he has to give us whatever we want, right? Because he said, if you pray in my name, then I will give you whatever you want. And it's become a weapon we've used in prayer when it was never intended to be just some abracadabra statement at the end of the sentence. In Jesus' name literally means in Jesus. It's the same idea as a marriage covenant. When Amber and I got married, she ceased to be Compton and became Shoemaker that she now has my name and can operate in the authority that I operate in because she shares the name that I have. That in Jesus' name is not a magical phrase that we use in prayer. In Jesus' name literally means we are in covenant, in intimacy, that we are together with the Father. And because we walk in relationship with him, then we get to use the authority that comes with his name. That, the, that as we are living in that indwelling, that internal garden, that mutual indwelling with one another, we now can take on the name of Jesus and use the authority that he has, the same authority that Jesus walks in, amen? Man, that's, that's way more powerful than we're responding that in Jesus' name is not an abracadabra. 
in Jesus' name is a covenant relationship that we have with God, that Jesus walked in the Father, that, they, that I am in the Father, he is in me, but now we have been invited into that relationship. And now we are in the Father, that we are in Jesus and they are in us, that when we pray with we wanna see greater works, then it has to come from the same place it came from with Jesus, which was that internal garden, that internal place with Jesus, amen? amen. This is where greater works come from. Yes, it comes through faith, right? That through faith, greater works comes, but not the typical view of faith that says, if I just believe hard enough for the miracle, it'll happen. If I cancel, how many of you do this? If I just cancel any negativity in my mind, if I can just pray without a single doubt entering into my mind, then it'll happen, right? That that is faith. That if we, that if, if while we pray, how many of you, you can all relate to this, I know. If how many of you, when you pray for somebody and say you're praying, you know, for something for their health or some, something for them, and, and when, while you're praying, you're like, okay, no doubting, no doubting, no doubting. And you're praying, and then all of a sudden this thought enters into your mind like, oh, what if it doesn't happen? Oh, man, what if it doesn't happen? And you're like, oh, shoot, guess it's not going to happen now. I let doubt come in. You know what I mean? Like, like, if, like, like we think God is some sort of like prima donna, like that if, if we just mess up a thought that he's not going to do it, like, nope, sorry, you, you had doubt, man, like, like, this is how we think faith operates, right? That if we doubt it at all, that all of a sudden God's, God's not going to do what he wants to do through you. It's like a, a, a movie star who only wants red M&Ms in his dressing room. And if there's a blue one in there, then I am not. Is there blue M&Ms? Yeah, I think so. I am not going to go and perform, like, this is what we think God is like. This is what we think faith is, that I just, I can't have any doubts. And if I do, then God will not perform. And that's not what he's saying. That's not the faith. The faith isn't that you have no doubts. The faith is that if he is in me, like, I so believe in my relationship with the Father. And if he is in me, who knows what can happen? If he is indwelling inside of me, if I am in him and he is in me and we share this mutual indwelling, who knows what could happen because he is in me. Your faith is not in those things. Your faith is in that fact that you share a relationship with the Father. Amen? What if greater works happens not because we have faith that has mentally strived hard enough not to doubt, but a faith that says he is in me and I am in him. And if he is in me, who knows what can happen? What if greater works is not a sign of anointing or power? Listen, let me slow down and say this. This is important. What if greater works is not a sign of some great anointing or power? How many of you have seen people pray for people and maybe that person got healed or maybe they're just really powerful and they're anointing and they're speaking or those things. How many of you have seen that and thought, man, they have such a powerful anointing? What if that, 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 uh, those greater works, what if those signs and wonders, what if they're not a, uh, a testament to their power and anointing? What if instead it's a testament to their union with the Father? We think anointing and power is the epitome 
of walking in the power of God. But what if it's not? What if it's a, there's something deeper than the anointing and the power? What if it's relationship? What if it's intimacy with the Father? What is if they walk so closely with the Father that all of these things are a byproduct of their walk with the Father? What if signs, wonders, and miracles aren't some sign that God's hand of power is upon them? What if it's a testimony? What if it's a sign to their closed door, behind the, behind the, the, the door, the secret place, their walk in the garden with God in the cool of the day? What if it's a testimony to their intimacy they share with the Father? Greater works, greater works does not come from anointing and power but it comes from a well-cultivated interior garden. Amen? Verse 11 shows us this. If you, need, if you need a proof text for what I just said, verse 11, believe that I live as one with my father and my father lives as one with me or at least believe because of the mighty miracles I have done. Jesus just said all of those mighty miracles that I have do, done and I've, I do are all happening you can believe that I live was one with the Father because of the mighty miracles that I've done. That the miracles are a testimony not to my power and anointing. The miracles are a testimony to my walk and my closeness with the Father. Believe that I live as one with my Father and my Father lives as one with me. Or at least believe because of the mighty miracles I have done. We have to stop focusing on anointing and power and begin focusing on our walk with the Father. That is the place that all of those things come from. Amen? If we want another really good uh, uh, example of this, what this looks like in Scripture, um, we got to go to John chapter 2. And this one is a, a very familiar story in John chapter 2. Um, and I'm just going to explain it to you instead of reading it to you. But the, the story, the account is found in John chapter 2, if you want to look that up and read through that yourself. But Jesus has, at this point in time, been doing some teaching. His ministry is kind of just getting going. At this point, he has a few disciples already with him that he's called to be by his side. And uh, Jesus gets an invitation to go to this wedding in Cana. And uh, so Jesus and his disciples pack their bags and they head to Cana. And when they get there, uh, not only was Jesus invited, but Mary, uh, Jesus' mom, was there as well. The fact that Jesus and Mary were there, some, a lot of people believe, a lot of scholars believe that this was probably a wedding of some relative of Jesus and Mary's. And so they're at the wedding. Uh, they're enjoying the feast. They're enjoying the celebration together. Then something happens that begins to ruin the party. They run out of the wedding wine, right? So they're there enjoying the party. All of a sudden, the wine dries up. And uh, I know back in those days, that, that, was a, that was a big deal. That was a real big problem that they had. So the wine draws up, or, uh, dries up, and Mary does something. She looks over at Jesus, and she says, Hey, hey, Jesus, the wine's gone. You see, even back then, women could be passive aggressive, right? <laughs> Jesus, the, the wine's gone. 
right? You, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. If, if your wife tells, comes up and says, hey, hey honey, the, the car's dirty, she's not giving you a fact. She's actually wanting some action out of you, right? She wants you to, you know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, so Jesus, or Mary comes up to Jesus and she says, Jesus, the wine's gone. And so Jesus, you know, he, uh, he does what he always does, right? He goes to the Father. And he asks God, okay, Father, what, what do you want me to do here? What, what's the route to take? What, 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 do you want me to go ahead and do this? And he must have heard something back from the Father like, no, not yet. Uh, it's, it's not time. It's not time to do that. Because Jesus' response to Mary was, uh, he, he said, woman, he said, what does that have to do with me? He said, it has not, it's not yet my time. Let me go ahead and read you exactly what he said. He said in verse four, he says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Let's stop and think about what Jesus is saying here in verse four. My hour has not yet come. Like I said, by this point, Jesus had already been doing some teaching he had already had some followers, uh, but we know because of verse 11 that he had not yet performed any public miracles. So he had not yet shown uh, his supernatural ministry to the public yet. So when Mary asked Jesus to make more wine, uh, she is asking him to perform his first public miracle. Jesus knew that as soon as he tipped that domino, it would start a march towards the cross. And as soon as he, and, and, and so, so again, he says, my, my time has not yet come. So what's he saying? He's saying, as soon as I perform this miracle, as soon as people see the supernatural power, as soon as people see the miracles take place, it's going to create this buzz my popularity is going to begin to spread and it's going to create this timeline. It's going to start the timeline and the march towards the cross. And, and he's checked in with the father and the father said, it's not time for that yet. And so he looks at Mary and he says, listen, it's not time for that yet. I, I can't do this miracle because it's not time to initiate the march towards the cross. It's not time for that to be fulfilled yet. And so Mary says, Jesus, I completely understand then she leans over to the servants and she says, hey guys, do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> and it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't really give us much uh, context of what happens there, but my imagination goes something like this. At, at this point, Jesus, Jesus you know, hears this, this conversation and, and, and he looks up at the father and he goes, father, what am I supposed to do here? Like, my father is telling me, no, but mom just said, it's time. <laughs> I, I'm caught in a little bit of a dilemma here. And it's, it's almost like the father just looked at Jesus and he goes, I know, man, what are you going to do? Like, mom said it's time, right? And so Jesus goes on. And we know the story. Jesus goes on. And even though it wasn't his time, the Bible clearly says that it was not this, it wasn't time for this to happen yet. But he goes on and performs the miracle anyways, which then is the first of many miracles that begins to spread his fame and begins his march to the cross. Think about the weight of what just happened here. God said, no, it's not time yet. Mary 
felt bold enough because of relationship to go back and say, can it be time? And because of relationship, God changed the timeline. Because of relationship, she was bold enough to ask God to change the timeline. And here's the amazing thing. He did. Because Mary was operating, not as a Christian, a follower of the Bible. She was operating as someone who had intimacy, who had history, who had a long-standing covenant relationship with Jesus. And because of that, she had a place at the table in the discussion of what things were going to take place. Now, I want to be clear on something. Mary can't and doesn't go and strong arm God in this situation. She doesn't go to God and say, and bend his arm and say, no, you're going to do this, right? We, it's not that. It's not, it's not that we have this permission to do that with God. You see, we, l- l- this is important to realize too. We are not going to change God's will. But we can change God's time. And that's what Mary did here. It was always the Father's will for this to happen. God, the, the miracle was going to take place. The, the initiation of that ministry was going to happen. But because of the intimacy, Mary was invited to the conversation. And she had the ear of Jesus and the Father. And she said, Jesus, we don't need wine tomorrow. We need wine right now. And because of her relationship, she was invited to the conversation and God actually took her into consideration and changed the timeline of history because of relationship. This is what walking in that interior garden can look like. This is what prayer should look like. Prayer is not us just offering up these request to God. Prayer is sitting at the table, being invited into the conversation between the Father, Son, and Spirit, and them them listening to what you're having to say, and things changing, not because you're strong-arming God, but because you have a history and a relationship with Him. I forget who said it, um, but there's a pastor who he talks about developing a secret history with God. How many of you have a, such a history with God, nobody else even knows about it? It's not something that you get up on a stage and talk about. It's not something that you share with others. It's this secret, intimate relationship you have with the Father. And building that intimacy, building that history with God, moving and doing everything from that place of the internal garden, this is what it looks like, that you have a seat at the table that you have permission to go and to talk to God about your situation. You have permission to go to God and, and, and say, God, I, I know it may not be your timing yet, but Lord, I really need this to happen. And, and, and God, because of relationship, there's a, there's a possibility that God then says, all right, let's do it now. 
This is what walking in the internal garden can look like. Amen? It's intimacy. It's walking with God. It's communion. I'm going to end with this verse right here. John chapter 16. Starting in verse 23. I'm going to give you some context to this verse before I read it. In this verse, Jesus is telling his disciples about a time that is coming where Jesus will be in heaven and not physically present with them. These verses, you've heard me talk about these verses. They're some of my favorite in all of the Bible. John chapter 14 through 17. These verses are Jesus talking on the last day before he goes to the cross. It's kind of his final words to his disciples. And so I, and because it's some of his final words, personally, I believe they're some of the most important words recorded in the Bible, verse John chapter 14 through John chapter 17. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion, and he's telling them these important things. And this is one of the things he tells them. He says that here soon, I'm not going to be physically present with you anymore, okay? I'm not going to be physically present present with you anymore. And this is what, John, what he says in John chapter 16 after he tells them that he's about to leave. He says, for here is eternal truth. When that time comes, you won't need to ask me for anything. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes at this moment. Jesus just told them that he's about to leave. They have to be wondering, well, Jesus, if you're leaving, what are we going to do? We've gone to you for everything. We've gone to you for everything. If you leave, what are we going to do? He says, the time comes, when the time comes, you won't need to ask me for anything. But instead, you will go directly to the Father and ask him for anything you desire, and he will give it to you. And then this next sentence right here. He will give it to you because of your relationship with me. Other translations say, when you ask in my name. Remember, in my name is like a marriage covenant that we're taking on his name because of our relationship with him. Until now, you've not been able or you've not been bold enough to ask the Father for a single thing in my name. But now you can ask and keep on asking him. There it is, guys. We are bold enough to ask him because of relationship. You will ask him and keep on asking him. You can be sure that you'll receive what you ask for when and your joy will have no limits. A lot of times we focus on you can ask whatever you want and you'll get it. But we miss the point that that comes from a place of relationship. It comes from a place of covenant, of being in his name. It comes from a place of the internal garden. So, the internal garden. This is why it's important to cultivate the garden inside of you. To have daily communion and relationship with the Father. That being a Christian is not about getting whatever we want or need because we can ask. Being a Christian is about walking with God in the cool of the day. And about, yes, prayer cultivating that garden, but also prayer coming from that place of intimacy and that place of communion.
This is what it looks like to walk in the garden. Go ahead and stand with me this morning.